Roast chicken is very nice. You're right. Well, you just better not try it. I thought you're red-handed. Now give it back. I'll go chase yourself. I didn't take you out. Tip, I've got tips of my own. What's the trouble? Oh, she's been doing it all along, lifting tips. I see the ones, but I'm not a red-handed. I'm nothing. I should have to go into the kitchen now. Get going. She's got to go my table, too. How about some service? Oh, I'm sorry. I'll have someone take care of you right away. I hope so. I have a head on to do it. You mind your own business. Sorry to leave you like that, but we're so short-handed, and now this. Let's see, you want a tea? No, I want a job. What? Well, you seem to need help, and I want a job. Did you ever work in a restaurant before? No. Follow me. Kind of a nervous gal, aren't you? I'm just a little over-anxious, I guess. Well, you want to watch that. It's tough on dishes. Personally, I don't think you're the type for the work, but against my better judgment, I'll give you a trial. Now, you'll need white shoes. Ask for nurses' regulation in any of the stores, $2.95. We furnish a uniform, but it comes off your first check, $3.95. You get it at cost and keep it laundered. If you don't suit us, we charge you 25 cents on the uniform. That comes off your check, too. Keep your own tips. Here, have your tea. Thank you. What's your name? Ida. What's yours? Mildred Pierce. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Welcome back. I mean, it's been a minute since we've recorded. It's been a minute. We, we took a little <laughs> summer break of a we few did. weeks. We did. We had a rerun last week, but we're back. We with a new are episode. Back. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm glad to be recording. This is going to be a really fun episode. This movie, every time I watch it, mm-hmm. it just brings to mind so many other things. Sure. So we're going to have a lot to talk about right now. But uh, listeners out there, my name is Pete. And I'm Scott. And, and these, these are, are the movies, movies that, that made, made us gay. gay. Jackson yes, Cooper, indeed. good friend of ours. Jackson. Last on the show for the Family, family Stone, Stone. Our Christmas episode. And, I, and I'm only here to exclusively talk about diners for 45 minutes. That's the <laughs> only reason <laughs> I'm here. I don't want to talk about the movie. I don't want to talk about Joan Crawford. I'm here to talk about... Diners. And, That's the only reason I'm here. And diner lingo. Adam and Eve on a raft. Wreck them. <laughs> what? What is it? What is Adam and Eve on a raft? I don't know. I feel like I love Lucy taught us what it does. I think Ethel told, taught us what it means, and I don't remember. Something oh. on toast. There is something on toast. I think Adam on, and Eve on a raft is like is like eggs on toast or something. Well, what is Adam and Eve? Okay. Yeah, okay. I don't know. Banana, uh, the, the, banana fried something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> banana apples. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy the yeah the, the diner oh situation in this in this movie fried chicken fried chicken and dry martinis oh, oh goodness what a what a what a breakfast of champions i feel booze soaked after watching the amount of drinks <laughs> well i should probably give a proper introduction to the movie that yeah. we're talking about <laughs> with jackson we watched a mildred pierce we got to the mildred pierce episode yes. i feel like we're almost episode 200. We're getting there. Episode we 200. We squeezed in Mildred Pierce right before we rounded that corner. Directed yeah. by Michael Curtis. Is it Curtis or Curtis? Curtis. Curtis. Yeah. I, I feel like Hungarian. everything, everything that I've read and saw, have seen interviews, they pronounce it Curtis. Yeah. Um, yes. Based on the novel by James M. Kane, released September 28th, 1945 in New York, and then October 20th of that year. Mildred Pierce. Damn, 1945. 1945, right after the war, baby. This movie, old. (laughs) It's old. It's so old, it's in black and white. Oh, my goodness. And this... Um, 
And this was a career comeback for Joan. That and it's 1945. Yeah. Like, she had had an entire career with MGM up until this, this point. Is, this is post-box office poison, am mm-hmm. I right? Post-box office poison. Wow. A few years wow. post-box office poison. So wow. she was in that rut for quite a long time and made some really dud movies. Okay. Um, I think the the most famous one from my research that she did was, I think it was 1942, mm-hmm. was this movie called Hollywood Canteen, where she play and Great she, uh, where it, uh, she's dancing with a sailor and the sailor says, uh, did anyone ever tell you you look like Joan Crawford? <sighs> and she's like, my husband does. So it was this kind of wow. in joke about wow. how washed up she was by that point. Oh my yes. Famously parted ways with MGM mutually. And then she went to Warner Brothers and lobbied really hard for this role with Jack Warner. And then later, Michael Curtis, because mm-hmm. Curtis was very adamant that he wanted Barbara Stanwyck. He did yep. not really care for Joan. And she really had to fight for this role, too. Did you see the other actresses who turned this role down? Oh, I have them. I have turned them listed. But I know that um, I believe that Barbara Stanwyck was unavailable. So it was uh-huh. first offered to her. Do you know who else was on the list? I think it was uh, Lauren Bacall was one of them. And then, um, funny enough, the box office poison era of Joan Crawford from what I was researching was that she got all the roles that Betty Davis turned down. Right. Mm-hmm. And one of the roles that Betty Davis turned down was Mildred Pierce. So yeah. <laughs> it, was, okay. it, it could have gone in so many different directions. I can very no easily yeah. see Betty Davis as Mildred Pierce. I, I think feel it, like I it think almost it, fits her more. I, I think it fits Joan more. Oh, huh? well, I, I think it, mm-hmm. I think it, I could see Barbara Stanwyck in it. Sure. For sure. Okay. So like, I'm, especially, Doing the double indemnity yeah. noir uh, style, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, she can, and she and she does that very well. And she, you know, she did a, a sort of a women's empowerment movie in mm. the '30s called Babyface too. So she she can play that like strong woman and noir figure. Okay. But so I'm seeing, yeah, I think I, I agree. I feel, I think this fits Joan more than Betty. So I'm seeing according. What? I'm seeing in my notes Olivia de Havilland and Joan Fontaine oh, were de both Havilland, offered right. the role. And they That's were still right. in their 20s, yeah. too. Joan was in her 40s when she made this. She Shocking. Was, yeah, she was exactly 40. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. At a time okay. where... Speaking of Joan's age, I'm just going to lay all my cards on the table here and tell you <laughs> that my timeline for Joan Crawford's life is Mommy Dearest and then Feud. So both yes. of those 100% documentary features. I am kind of basing... <laughs> My, uh, you know, my knowledge of her career and all that upon... I think, by and large, that's most of the public's kind of perception of Joe, yeah, too. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. so I'm just kind of... I just put put things together in my head of, like, is this is this is post-Walk uh, Me to My Car, but pre-Don't mm-hmm. Fuck With Me, Fellas. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Pre-Pepsi. Yeah. Pre-Pepsi. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but 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 still but still but you know studios you know uh, fucking her over yeah, after Jack, she made them Jack yeah. Warner like she well I, her mean, off the I lot. mean to be honest Joan's life was not all that um was not all that interesting mm-hmm. po- uh, pre Mildred Pierce because she just was a working actress right. I mean she was born Lucy Lesur. So uh, and and came from a very poor background, right. which is mm-hmm. I mean we'll talk about the parallels of. 
Mildred and I mean, her life. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, other than that, she just became a starlet and then left and made some flops and then won an Oscar and up to this point. From when everything I've read Single mother. for her yeah. years at MGM during the Great Depression, that Joan sort of embodied the audience identification of a shop girl that gets lucky or right. just sort of a rags to riches story of this woman, which was kind yeah. of Joan's story in real life because she grew up mm-hmm. poor and she just worked her way up the studio system. So this is what's yeah. interesting about this movie because – we get so many themes of Mildred kind of, you know, making good, being, mm-hmm. you know, a, a, a divorcee and, well, kind of a victim of circumstance. But, you know, she never gets portrayed in a bad light. And I know a lot of that is, is part of the um, – not the studio system, but the, the rating, production, the production, code, the production yeah. code and all of that. Um, but a lot of it is just like – you know, uh, I think that audiences, especially at the time, can relate to this woman of just like, she saved up enough tips mm-hmm. to open mm-hmm. up her own damn chicken joint. And now she's got a chain of them all across yeah, Southern California. I'm a chain. You know, so there's that aspect of it. But there's also the super wealthy Joan Collins, like crazy, like pimp huggy bear fur coat from like uh, yeah. the beginning of the movie the fur coat that just seems to get larger and larger with every single <laughs> yeah, shot was, of her. it's like yes. cameron manheim's hat and scary movie five it just keeps getting bigger in every scene um so there's this there's this duality of like yes you can be mildred pierce but on the other hand it's it's the other aspirational like quality that like a lot of screwball comedies of the like mm-hmm. golden era of hollywood had where it's like this is the wealthy, and this is not yeah. you, Joe and Betty moviegoer, you know? So yeah. it, it has this kind of dual perspective when you watch it. You're kind of like, I could be a Mildred Pierce myself if I put my mind to it, but then like, oh no, I would never fit in with Mr. Baragon and like all those. Mm-hmm. Like, well, I was right. going to say, the, the movie does address kind of class issues right. because with Vita's yeah. fiance, uh, Vita, the, uh. the mother-in-law is just like, oh, <laughs> You're not marrying into this family, right? Restaurant tour. So Restaurant tours. What is? Uh, she says. She says. I don't. I don't want your money. Or he says. I. I don't like that your money smells like grease at the end of the day or something. Mm-hmm. It's just oh. And gosh. him and Vita both talk about the grease money. I'm like, geez, yes. Louise, that is putting those furs on your back. That car. Where did that car come from? The car, Miss Vita, car that he picked out and she bought. Like, so <laughs> I, it's just that thing of like. A certain time in America, whether or not this was true, but you hear stories of people saying Mm -hmm. like, yeah, I started a business and I had no money. I started a business with my tips from being a waitress Mm -hmm. or like I became like a – airline pilot and i didn't even have a driver's license that kind of yeah. thing i've worked like, my way up in the company and now i'm the ceo but just yeah. based the, on the bootstraps based mentality. bootstraps yeah. and gumption and that's it yeah where it's like that's impossible now but then there's also that other thing of like mildred by all intents and purposes in today by today's standards if you knew somebody like who ran multiple restaurants and like lived i'd be like damn they're doing pretty good and i would not look down on them for being well she works for a living well yeah that's how she can afford that like lifestyle and she has 
all these businesses and she's a successful like business person. But it's so interesting that at the time, like the level of like high class society was like, you just had money and you didn't have to work for it, which is. Yeah. And the, and the book and the HBO series do a better job at showing that gap because Vita, you know, Vita doesn't become a lounge singer in the book. She becomes an opera singer because Mm -hmm. to her, you know, opera is the step into that uh, echelon of society. And also it's interesting that, you know, we talked about the release was at, was after the war ended and they intentionally wanted to release it till after the war um, because they knew that it would be a good sort of hopeful movie, which is ironic because the HBO series and the novel oh, are, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to say the ending is hopeless, but it's, it's not a, it's like, and then life just goes on. Yeah, There's nothing going. glamorous about, about it. So I think that's an interesting, you bring up a great point, but yeah. for people coming back from the war to see that hope, like, yeah, I can, life is hard, but I can work hard in this country and by golly, you know, pay for everything and make a life. But yeah. I think the, there are elements of melodrama like the shift in the costumes and stuff that are <laughs> a little unrealistic right. to, to, you know, yeah, it's like, yeah. okay, she suddenly runs change and she's wearing yeah. fur and a hat, hat and a veil and all this, this stuff. It's like, there are just these massive melodramatic signifiers of like, I have money now. It's, it's, versus... it's still a black and white movie from the forties. So yeah. it's still over the top. <laughs> exactly. You know, yeah. this, this house that they live in that Vita is just like, Oh, this hovel. I can't believe we live here. Speaking of which, huge. speaking of which, <laughs> this huge. house, this house in Glendale, we know who yeah. lives there now. Friends of ours live there. Bought that house. Friends of ours live at, at that location. We Clearly, oh, like, all of the interiors are on a soundstage yeah. at Warner. But sure, the exterior, but the exteriors, we know who lives in that I house. I think they only show it at the very wow. beginning. Actually, I think they don't really go. I back think to so. The, Everything to, else to is setups. like the beach house mm-hmm. or the restaurant. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, fascinating. Scott was like, "Oh, like blah blah blah's house." I was like. Wait, are you saying that because it looks like the house that they bought? And he goes, "No, <laughs> no. remember they bought that they house. Bought that house. Like, oh, yeah." There was one shot where uh, the background of the inter- which, as you said, the interiors were on the soundstage. But for a minute, I was like, "Is that the Baby Jane house? Like, right, are they, yeah. <laughs> they just reused?" And then I went, "Oh no, California! That's just how all the houses looked at the time. Yeah, <laughs> that design, yeah, pretty much, pretty much." Um, well. You guys were talking about just Joan's look in this movie, and I know with Curtis as the director, that was a big mm-hmm. point of contention, was just Joan wanting to tell the story of Mildred Pierce, but Joan still wanted that glamour. And I mm-hmm. think that Michael Curtis kind of wanted maybe a little more realism of who the actual character is, and I know that they went back and forth with that a lot on set. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Did you did you read the story about the dress? Did you read the story about the dress? There was a story in I think her biography where she showed up and she was so used to costumes. Her she was so used to her having input into hair, makeup, and costumes from MGM that she I think that moved over into her Warner Brothers clause. But she showed up and uh, she was just in this like pretty plain dress. And Michael Curtiz thought that it was this designer dress and stuff like that because he had asked her to bring, you know, a dress or two that he thought was, you know, Mildred Pierce. And so she brings one. 
And he thought it was some designer stuff. So he rips it up in front of hers, in front of her. And it turns out that it was just like a $2 dress from Sears. And she was just like, fuck you. And the horse he rode in on. <laughs> like, this asshole. Because he, he, he just thought she was all glam. And, and Crawford took it so seriously. It was kind of sad. You know, yeah. it, it's interesting because a lot of uh, actors from this era will go on – talk shows later on you know they'll go on shows in the 60s and the 70s there's a really good right. clip of joan on david frost well you oh, know okay. there's on the I'm, criterion i mean there's like famously like judy garland would go on like murph griffin right and tell these stories in their betty hilar- davis after the stroke hilarious yeah. stories you know and we're laughing and laughing and you're like that never happened <laughs> <laughs> they're embellishing just a little bit so we never know what's what's true but this story of there's the story of the sears dress i feel like yeah. is kind of um has been around for a long time so there's probably mm-hmm. a lot of truth to that but the idea yeah. that i think even joan is just like Oh, the big shoulders! Like i just i just have broad shoulders and it's like you just look like an average shoulder lady yeah, right. And also, what she, were these dresses that Michael Curtiz was forcing you to wear that you know? <laughs> made you look so terrible? She's <laughs> she's sitting there on David Frost in this like turban and the sequin gown, but it is a sleeveless sequin gown. And she's talking about how like he hated the shoulder pads and he thought that I was so pretentious for padding my gowns, but really it was ju- I just have big shoulders. And you're looking at yeah, her and you're no. like, you just look like a. <laughs> like a lady with regular shoulders. (laughs) So I think it just becomes part of their personality and part of this like persona of just like, what my eyebrows totally look like this normally. And there is, there are (laughs) books that literally say that she, she called those shoulder pads, her iconic look. Yeah. Yeah. So it was like, she was going to have them in every single movie regardless. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, How frumpy her character. I do. I do love though at the, at one point in this movie, after the, the restaurants become, a hit and she comes out mm. and she kind of has a little bit of her like glow up, if you will. Yeah. And she really <laughs> comes out and it is giving Joan yeah. like classic, like look up in Wikipedia. That's the picture. Joan Crawford yeah. action figure. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's the, it's the, um, it's the Sean Young and Blade Runner hair. You know, yes. the hair yeah. situation on her is fascinating. Yeah. It's of how women it's could wild. get hair like that. Or, I mean, oh, and so, yeah, none of it moves. Yeah. It's perfect. Yeah. Well, they would go yeah. and they would get their hair done and then they would go to sleep with an entire roll of toilet paper wrapped around, <laughs> pinned around their head and try their damnedest not to move for two weeks until they go back to the hair salon. <laughs> Gay men, too, at the time. But no one talks about that. <laughs> ah. No one talks about that. Barragon, uh, what's his first name? The, the character? Um, yeah, Monty. Monty Barragon. Yeah. That actor, that hair. Zachary Scott. Hey, hey. That was not moving in those winds of Malibu. Like when- <laughs> Zachary Scott, would you say Zachary Scott's kind of are like a poor man's uh, who is... Clark Gable? Uh, no, I'm thinking of Robin Hood. Oh, oh Errol Flynn. Flynn. Errol Flynn. Is he kind of a... I can see it. Is he kind of a I, yeah, working man's Errol Flynn? It was, it was kind of a kind of a... Errol Flynn, Cesar Romero, Ricky Ricardo kind of kind of deal. You know, that's uh, so interesting because I remember the first time watching this movie 
And at the very beginning, you know, we'll we'll get to the we'll get to the plot, listeners. <laughs> don't worry. <laughs> but at the very beginning, we still follow a structure. Yeah, don't worry. <laughs> they refer they refer to her as Mrs. Barragon, and then we meet the character, mm-hmm. and his name is Monty Barragon, and all that. And like, I went to high school. High school, there were a set of well, okay. In my graduating high school class, there were three sets of identical twins. And one set were the Barragons, Richard and Renee. Mm-hmm. And it's spelled differently than in this movie, but I just always knew like Barragon as being like a Latin as a Hispanic name. name. Yeah, and it's with an A at the end. And Barragon, like with you know and so I was like, What the fuck are they naming this character Barragon in this fifties in this forties movie? And then they do address it she's like that name's fucking weird where does that come from and he's like oh yeah it's spanish and italian and eh, it's it's everything so i mean yeah i guess it's in there somewhere but this character is a pasadena socialite yeah so i mean somebody from old money in pasadena there weren't a lot of latins in that crew (laughs) (laughs) or probably italians or portuguese or wherever the yeah all together does come from yeah having those huge mansions on orange grove boulevard yeah that's the one thing that this movie that the miniseries really like stresses of that mm-hmm. oh when she moved up mildred's moved up. really made it when she can buy a mansion <laughs> yeah. on orange grove in pasadena mm-hmm. like yeah, that is she, she made, that is yeah, the she moves up yeah that is like the people that are too good for los angeles and beverly hills you get a <laughs> mansion on orange grove yeah yeah there were times where the the beachfront definitely gave me some big low lies vibes. So oh sure, uh, I, like that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know was... two different things, but still, I was like, oh, that yeah, beach okay, house. the, the uh, signal so, of wealth, absolutely, you know, uh, in so, front of the water. So Scott's whole thing and, and mine too. We're watching this and we're like, that beach house is on the sand. When you read the when sand. you when you read the trivia, it got washed into the ocean. I mean, I could, then, I could imagine what? why. What? Mm-hmm. what? I mean, it took another 40 years. It wasn't until the 80s, but there was a big storm. Wow. Yeah, there was a storm <laughs> in the 80s. So interesting. Just at that away, time on PCH, you would see these cute little cottages. On the, the beach, sand? That the does sand. not sound structurally sound. I don't wow. Who designed that? Okay. Okay. Sure. Great. <laughs> <laughs> Oh Climate change didn't exist no, 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 then, no, no. so it's it's all good. Yeah. Do we want to talk a little bit about the adaptation of Mildred Pierce and how uh, the movie screenwriter um, Ronald McDougal of that mm-hmm. when they adapted it? You've read the book, right? I have. Yeah, uh-huh. and I just I've, finished it. We've both have seen the HBO miniseries that follows. Yes. The book a little closer. We can talk about that the HBO series later because I definitely want to get sure. into that. But yeah. they took this very noir angle to yeah. with the so, movie yeah. of just it makes sense. Those are the type of stories and scripts that were selling at the time. Of that, mm-hmm. they just sort of in they kind of invented this murder right I, which I don't think happens. Yeah, in, it's not in, the, in book. the book. No, it's not in the book or, or the HBO series. Yeah. And they really, uh, they really wanted to take the film noir because the book was so scandalous. Yes. I mean, she has a lot of sex in the book. <laughs> she immediately, she of, immediately like bangs the friend. Yeah, exactly. And and there's a lot of that. And then there, there's also, uh, you know, there's also some really overt, not subtle. Like she may be in love with Vita. She may not be in love with Vita. Oh my goodness. So there's a, there was just so much, so many things. And, uh, um, Ida's clearly a he, lesbian. 
<laughs> yeah, right, right. But it's all, I mean, it's out there in the open in the book. Yeah. But it was like, they can't obviously put it in a movie. So mm-hmm. they worked within the production code. And honestly, the type of film that they could get away with that with was film noir. Yes. Which sort of, which coded. We're going to streamline you know, this into like a classic noir framing device. And, and yeah. um, hussiness and sluttiness and uh, <laughs> all yeah. that with. Um, with this, with this, uh, you know, with this undercurrent of like social issues, like film noir really does sort of talk about society on a very visceral level. So they, I, I think it was a genius stroke turning it into a noir, to be honest. Yeah. And especially brilliant. Curtis at the time mm-hmm. that he kind of introduced Hollywood to a visual style using artistic lighting and just sort of these cool fluid camera motions yeah i don't really think that up until then you really saw that with a lot of directors i mean i get that orson wells orson wells kind of like broke down the door with all of that but michael michael curtis was doing something pretty similar yeah well and it was it was a big budget noir i think that's what people forget it was like it was one of the first studio backed noir films and even curtis had never directed a noir and noirs were famous for being poverty row, you know, low sure. budget, yeah. just you know, filmed in five days, camera set up, camera set up, um, and and sort of just churned out. And so here was Warner Brothers taking a really big chance on on this and giving Curtis, who had never, like I said, never filmed a noir, and he does this amazing thing. It's kind of like Billy Wilder doing, you know, Sunset Boulevard. It's just like his first; he takes all of the good things, yeah. And uh, and makes it better. But yeah. how how wild is it though that they're like, well, Mildred can't have a fling with her husband's Wally. business partner, right? While they're still married, that's off the table. But you know what off she can table. do? Cover up for her daughter's murder. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, because so well, because well, no, no, no. You bring up a good point, but it it had to start with a murder yeah. because in the production code. Um, got to get bad or good has to overcome evil. Mm -hmm. And so it's like right out the gate and the book was such a success that like everyone in America had read the book at the time. And so they knew that, you know, it's kind of a downer of an ending and it's not good and it's about corruption and America. And so, so they were just like, you know what? We're going to start with the murder. (laughs) Because I thought that too. I was like, why start with violence in a movie from the forties? Like a big budget movie mm-hmm. too, and and uh, it was like to say, you know, oh, somebody's getting the bad punished. guys. Get We're gonna caught. punish bad the rotten. Get punished. Everybody yeah. hates the rotten daughter, so yeah. she got she has to get hers at the very end. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it is a good framing device. I mean, it, like no, from really a screenwriting is, yeah. perspective, it's it's a brilliant way to adapt it. It's like yeah, at a murder <laughs> halfway th- halfway through it, you know, she's giving the voiceover yeah. throughout the movie, and and halfway through it, we're like. She's still talking to the cop. Is she? She telling yeah. all? She telling all this to the detective? Uh huh. All right. I'm just. A lot of I'm judging. Ca- Chicken Carol Shack. Burnett, Carol Burnett does a Mildred Pierce. Parody, oh, I have not seen that. And she acknowledges that she like walks in and somebody into the police station. Somebody's at the counter and she just like elbows them over and she goes, "I have a confession to make." And the guy's like, "Oh, we're." We're busy, ma'am. And she's like, no. And she forces him to sit down and listen. 
<laughs> That's amazing. I have to find that. Oh, That's probably online. Somewhere. Yeah, it's great. We'll go to YouTube. <laughs> I've got my I've gotten my notes here. Franchised chicken shack. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Multiple husbands. <laughs> rotten daughter. Oh, Run daughter. This movie has everything. <laughs> <laughs> and you know the thing about franchises, <laughs> murder, evil daughters, evil daughters, pneumonia. I think my biggest takeaway with just this is a movie and the star power of Joan is that whenever you mention Joan Crawford to anyone, you usually just immediately go to Mommy Dearest, right. beating your kid with the yes. coat hanger, all of that. But when you really look at Joan's career, just her work commitment was like no other actress at the time. And I think that people kind of take for granted what a fucking great performance this is, too. I think I think it's also a, a great performance in a literal history of great performances. I yeah. mean, I think it's fascinating to see. I, I can't think of any actress really, not even like Meryl Streep or Betty Davis, where it's like, Every decade was so defined by a different performance. Maybe Barbara Stanwyck, but it was just like, you mm. know, Crawford was in silent movies yeah, uh, yeah. in the 20s and then was, you know, these great stock characters in the 30s. And then she, you know, she does Mildred Pierce and she does all these sort of very kick-ass women after this, you know, and then she does the Betty Day or uh, the Baby Jane era. Mm. And then she does, yeah, it's just this whole entire, she has so many chapters to her life. And it's just, um, I think the performance that turned her around too. I mean, literally, I don't think it, I don't think we would have a Joan Crawford if, if it weren't for this film. I also think this movie, um, I know that there's a certain, uh, like section of people, cross section of people who are just like, oh, you know, like older movies, black and white movies, like like the acting style, blah, blah, blah. Like I can't really get into it. Or, but like this movie is very watchable. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. it's very watchable. Start to fence. You know, sometimes it, the pacing of a, of a black pay, and white movie. It's like, be, well, it's sometimes long. Yeah. It keeps yeah. it under, it keeps it under two hours. Yeah. So, so I think this movie, it's, yep. it's well paced. It's well, it, the story's intriguing and she's so good. And in practice, she's practically in every scene of the movie. Yeah. Um, but she just keeps you like captivated the whole time, and tra- and and because of this like murder, I mean, they is it is a mystery. They set it up one way at the beginning with this big switcheroo, you know, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's a it's a captivating watch, you know, for yeah. even for people who are not maybe into you know an an older picture like this. Yeah. So um, and the twist, as you mentioned, the twist I think still holds up. I mean, it just mm-hmm. the way in which it reveals itself and he waits until the last minute like it's literally the last minute and a half that yeah. Vita comes out and you're yeah. like oh my oh yeah spoiler alert everybody <laughs> but uh <laughs> but you're just like oh my god i can't believe yeah oh, wow yeah that cop it all starts to make sense <laughs> yeah <laughs> and the oldest trick in the book i can't believe she fell for it but um right right <laughs> So okay, we we've gone this far without giving like a TV guide description of what this movie's about. We should try to at least sure. I mean, it's give your readers digest. It is just sort of this ultimate story of middle class, the yeah. struggles of middle class too. That Mildred isn't introduced as being poor. Like she lives in a house. No, yeah, she lives in this nice house in Glendale with her daughters. Husband immediately leaves her 
in the first 10 minutes yeah. of the movie. Yeah. And she has to figure out how she's going to pay the bills. Yeah. Yeah, I love that she's just like, well, I got to get a job. Like, and I know how to do nothing. Like, yeah. I am, I'm literally have just been a housewife and not that that's just not doing anything, but in the workforce, she's in 1945, she's literally like, I have zero marketable skills. But also good for her. I mean, uh, this time around watching it, I was like, good for her because she, he leaves her and her first thing is not, oh my gosh, he's gone. I mean, she does do that, but yeah, yeah. her first thing is like, I need to get a job to support my children. Right. You know, like yeah. it's, it's such a great, uh, I mean, I, I wouldn't call it feminist, but it was just such a hopeful thing where she just goes, no, I need to kick into gear and, and, you know, take care of the kids. The kids need, need me. Yeah. And it's just a beautiful motherly instinct. Yeah. I, I do also find it interesting that it, because of the period, he is like, I'm leaving you. This marriage is over. I'm moving out of the house. Yeah. But divorce, nowhere. <laughs> we'll think about it. Even on the table. And when she yeah. does bring it up for tax purposes only, he's just like, God damn it, Mildred. <laughs> One more thing <laughs> out of you. And it's like, why don't you just, gonna just divorce her? But okay. So the so husband leaves and Mildred has two daughters, uh, Vita, who is older, and the younger daughter, Kay, who is a little tomboy. And Kay, I love. Like, right off Kay's the bat, great. Kay's amazing. She says, she doesn't say, ah, peaches. She says, like, ah, beets or something. She says something crazy. Like, it's like, <laughs> ah, peaches. She, like, Vita's telling her, like, because uh-huh. Vita's kind of stuck up from the beginning. She's very prim and proper. A little bad seed-ish in the way that she, yeah, like, talks to the parents. In that well, very a little, like, little bit, yeah. You already see her sociopath yeah. when she, when she, um, when when Mildred is telling them that the father left. She's just playing the mm-hmm. piano, like, "What is wrong, mother? Where is father?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Is he coming home? Is he ever coming? And she cares home? more about the dress and not the divorce. Yeah. And, and it's, it's this like early sign of like, "Ooh, That's, we got to watch for that, that one." Scene yeah, of yeah. Mildred coming up the stairs. And she mm-hmm. overhears Vita talking about how much she hates the dress. The look on yeah. Joan's face yeah. just breaks your heart <laughs> yeah. of that this yeah. little girl is awful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I do like that they uh, – Anne Blythe. Mm-hmm. Anne Blythe. I like that she looks young enough but also has a maturity in her Yes, yeah. she's very delivery, well yeah. So that – when we start out at the beginning, she could be 12 or 13. Yeah. And by the end, yeah. she could be 18, you know. Right. 17, yeah. 18. And Blythe was 16 when, when Holy this, which is shit. crazy. So, wow. Yeah. So I was reading that Anne Blythe is <laughs> wow. one of the oldest Academy Award nominated actresses that's still alive. That I think wow. that Angela She's Lansbury. still alive? I think that when Angela Lansbury passed away, I think it went to her. Wow. Wow. She was okay. 16 and 45. Oh, my goodness. Can we get her on the phone? I know. Can we get her on the phone? <laughs> uh, and also, Angela Lansbury shared the supporting actress category with her. This year? The year that this came out. Oh, wow. Because Anne Blythe what, and... Uh, Angela. What was, what was for... What was Eve for, Arden. Uh, Gaslight. Gaslight, right? Oh, okay. Wait, Scott. 45, 45 must have been Gaslight. Scott, what did you just say that Angela Lansbury Hold was on. also nominated the same year? Let me look it up. Or are you talking about Eve Arden? 
Well, Eve Arden was also nominated. Yes. Uh, let me look it up really fast. Okay, look that up, but we have to talk about Eve Arden as Ida. Um, you, may, uh, you mean Lucille Ball Light? <laughs> <laughs> okay, Ar- uh, Armis Brooks. Kind of putting Ar- a little cap on a- Angela Lansbury yeah. in Best Supporting Actress. It was The Picture of the Dorian Gray. Picture of Dorian Gray. Oh. That's right. Okay. They lost, oh, to, they lost to Anne Reeve for National Velvet. I'm probably oh, voting cool. for Eve Arden <laughs> in this category. Yeah, yeah, Eve Arden is is uh, is yeah. I would say this is an Oscar worthy performance. I can't see anybody else in this. I love a no Barbara bullshit. Barbara Gettys, no one. I yeah. love a no right. bullshit uh, front of the house manager. Yeah. <laughs> see, this is also that thing of that time period that shit like this does not happen anymore. Where you you walk into a restaurant and there's like a little bit of hubbub going on, and you're like, "Oh, what can I get you? You, you can get me a job." And you and they take her back. <laughs> she takes her to the back, gives her her uniform, and she's like, "Oh, by the way, what's your name?" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Here's, you're, you're hired. What? It hasn't. That hasn't happened to you. It's happened to me. Yeah, I've been hired. You went in for an I've, interview though, no, but <laughs> no, I was hired. On the spot at a restaurant in Bozeman, Montana, by the owner of the oh, the owner of the Emerson Grill, Robin hired me on the spot. It yeah, was, but were you interviewing there? No, you were just eating there. I walked in and just, are you guys hiring? She says, Yeah. Do you want to work as a dishwasher? <laughs> and I was like, I've been hired sure. on the spot. My coffee shop in college. I was sitting reading a book, and the owner came up to me and was just like. Hey, I've seen you in here. Do you want a job? And I was <gasps> just like, yeah, great. <laughs> he yeah. goes, okay, be here tomorrow at 5 a.m. Yep, that's exactly was. what, what <laughs> Robin told me. And she just said, don't be late. And yeah. no, no job interview. It was <laughs> on, on the spot hired. Love it. But that, no, but that can't happen today. No. That can't happen today. <laughs> <laughs> I, want, I want, okay, so I've been, I've been thinking about this, and I want to hear you two's opinion about this. On Snatch Game next season, who <laughs> should be cosplayed? Should it be Eve Arden or should it be Joan Crawford? Nobody, I mean, nobody's doing Joan. I mean, that's it's a wooden Joan? hanger. <laughs> it's Excuse a wooden me, hanger. Oh, Mariah, Mariah Berenciology. And also, Balenciaga. Um, and also uh, Alyssa Edwards did Joan Crawford. Oh, oh she did. She did, yeah. yeah. Two Jones. But, but she did. She, she did fade down away. And all she did was mommy And, and it's funny quotes. that you mentioned Drag Race with Eve Arden because Rue has said on his podcast that the RuPaul voice in drag, Eve Arden is a big inspiration of Rue's no line. shit. Yeah, Rue said that That's he's pretty much just doing right an now. Eve Arden impression of just the little cadences. Yeah, of how Eve would say words. That's amazing. I am. I, wow. I love that. I love that. <laughs> well, she does a great job. She's a great best friend. And it's mm-hmm. funny. We've seen so many, so much of this archetype in movies and such. I mean, I think Vivian Vance and I love Lucy right, right. is probably the best um, uh, example, but I don't know. There's something so, because I always, I was looking at it and I was like, are they a contrast? Are they, you know, it's like, is she, Somebody that Mildred wants to be, but no, she's just her own right. person, yes. and she's just strong as fuck and great, and, and also very funny. I mean, she she yeah. plays it very well, and she doesn't she doesn't chew the scenery as much she's as I given. I had think, remembered her to. Uh, yeah. Ida has my favorite line of the script. Personally, Vita's 
convince me that alligators have the right idea, they eat their young. What a line. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's great. That's great. I love that. But yes, Evarden. Okay, Evarden should have won in this. <laughs> she says something. Should have won her Oscar. She says something to Wally as he's like walking past her, and she's like, "Leave, leave something, leave something on me. Like I'm getting cold. Like he's undressing <laughs> her with his eyes or something." I'm like, "Oh my goodness, I love it." She has some good burns in this movie to pretty much everyone. Yeah, to everybody, yeah. including Mildred. Including <laughs> Mildred, she tells it to her straight. Yeah, Eve Arden walked so that Mary Wicks can run. There you go. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> I, but I love the the idea that Eve Arden is probably she's probably cast in this movie as maybe somebody a little less glamorous than Joan Crawford. Yeah, less glamorous than yeah. Mildred Pierce, who's not right, a glamorous. Right. shouldn't be. But Eve Arden character. is still but gorgeous. She's I so mean, beautiful. She's so beautiful and so well yes. dressed in her hair and is all she's this. So and tall even when she speaks, and, uh, she's not like ah, but she's she's still a very proper woman. It just speaks uh, to the to the time yeah. that that Eve Arden is their idea of just like this old bag, <laughs> this old battle axe, haul her out. She'll be behind the counter. <laughs> You know, like, oh, goodness gracious. They're like, really? That her? <laughs> yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Um, okay, so I also love, okay, going back to kind of Mildred's, like, rise. Yeah. She's like, okay, never worked in restaurants a day in my life. I love all of the restaurant montages. All the restaurant stuff is great. great. It's so all great. very true Beautiful. to, like, you know, working in, in service. Um, but But she's just like... It just came to me. I just, you know, in six weeks, I've been working there for a year. Um, but so not only is she doing this and working her ass off and making all this money in tips, she's making, at one point, in her kitchen at her house, four dozen pies for the, <laughs> rest, for the restaurant. Four, she got 12 dozen strawberry, 12, or a dozen strawberry, a dozen mm-hmm. peach, a dozen lemon. I was like... You're making four dozen pies at one time. Poor Butterfly yeah. McQueen is over there just like <laughs> slanging these pies. I'm like, how many yeah. ovens does your house in Glendale have? This is crazy. <laughs> I can't imagine making that many cookies, much less entire pies. But I mean, that's just Mildred, I guess. Just like, the thing, but the thing, the thing out. that was unrealistic about all that, she didn't break a sweat, right? No, and that Not fucking kitchen would be hot as yeah, hell. yeah. She was in that. Not a hair out of place. I love the uh, yeah. It's it's. I love the. It's it's so, and it kind of fits into that depression era wartime thing. Not to make it all film history, but it's just it's so it's such a practical thing she's doing. You know, yes. it's like she's not running the restaurant yet. She's just like I am making pies. I am doing my service to feed people. It's such a very. Um, you know, capitalism American thing. Like it's a small thing, but it makes a difference. And I that's, think, yeah, that's and I think what it that is. It's in the HBO show, in the HBO series, which we'll we'll get into later. But yeah, Kate Winslet mentions that at the restaurant, everybody just orders chicken. So yeah, the, in, why not have yeah. a restaurant built around roast chicken? Yeah, since that's the biggest seller at the restaurant she works at, I'm going to make my restaurant. She has one thing on the menu. Yeah, and it's, but that's also kind of I. That's like, also a very old timey. Yeah, thing, too. yeah, yeah. Just, uh, just a straight up fried chicken and potatoes, and that's it. <laughs> um, 
You get what you get when you walk into yeah. Mildred's. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, soon she, you know, she she needs the, the startup capital to like get this mm-hmm. building, and this is where Mister Baragon Wally and Wally helps her out. Right, old business yep. partner of her husband, and they would develop homes. They're in real kind estate. Of, they, yeah. They're in real estate. The scene where Wally we first don't... finds out that they're separated, and he yeah. just like. <laughs> Forces himself in the house. They play it yeah. as like funny. They play it as like this comedy, like wacky scene, and you're like, oh yeah. my god, <laughs> yeah. Because she's like, what are you doing here? He's like, yeah. what are you doing? Here? You know, it's, it, it's it's that. Oh my god, what's going on? But he fully does just break and enter. <laughs> yeah, you're like, this is borderline <laughs> yeah. assault, but they're playing it off like, oh Wally, classic That's Wally. Just <laughs> That's just now. Now we do have to talk about this movie does pass the Bechdel test. I checked. It. I checked. It does ta- pass the Bechdel test. But what I love about the men in the movie is is that they're just plot devices. Sure. Like there is nothing yeah. there. There is yeah. no one of those people who has any semblance of like inner conflict or everything. <laughs> everything is so on the surface. And Monty's a big dummy. Like he's broke. He has yeah. to mm-hmm. get money from Mildred once she makes it big. And he's just kind yeah. of portrayed as this, as this dummy, as this dummy rich kid. Yeah, yeah, and spoiled, and and Wally is this sort of like greedy, um, you know, businessman <laughs> kind of thing who like can't let it go. Uh, so you know, it, it's I I love how the men are. <laughs> I hate yeah. to say this, but I love how the men are portrayed <laughs> in this movie Mr. because they suck. Yeah, they suck, and there's no attempt. To make them good at all. It's very interesting the portrayal of Mr. Pierce, her husband. Bert. Bert. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because Bert. I mean, yeah. because this is a like, you know, production code era movie, mm-hmm. he and I mean, spoiler alert, they do kind of reunite somewhat at the end of, of this movie. This movie. Yeah, he's yeah, there. He's yeah. there with her at the end. They they walk yeah. out and they know. get back together in the book, right? I think I I think they do. I think they yeah. do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so yeah. it's like he's there. So he's a little benign. He's he's hesitant to get a divorce, but he ultimately does give give her grant her divorce. And you know, mm-hmm. he's just like, oh, you're you're gonna make it out like I, you know, you're gonna prance me out in front of people and you know make me look like i hit you you know and he, but he's like i'm not gonna do it you know so they they never make him go too far because i guess ultimately that's her husband and she's mildred pierce yeah. and so uh, you know he's still kind of like he's not bad enough for us to be like just yes. leave him you know but he comes back to her yeah i mean that's that's also what's great it's like she doesn't go crawling back to him no. he comes back to her yeah. he's like caring for her and so it's a good role reversal for the genders in in that regard. Yeah. Yeah. And also to go back to film noir for a second in film noir, there's the femme fatale, right. Which is always supposed to be connected with a romantic relationship. Like, you know, the, the, the man, Fred McMurray or whomever Mm -hmm. is, you know, seduced by this, this woman. And, and she's the one who leads him into all this. And here, Vita is the yes. fence at all. And so I that's why I also was like, it's a brilliant adaptation because it's like if the novel has all of this about how much she loves Vita, it's like, well then turn Vita into the femme fatale. So, mm. you know, she gets seduced by her in a sense, 
and um, she ends up backstabbing her. It's great. Yeah. yeah. So um, we do have to. It's very interesting how Kay's character is kind of used in this adaptation. Mm-hmm. Um, because Kay, who is the younger daughter, she's probably about 10 or something. Because she does mm-hmm. say to Vita that she gave something up. Like Vita was like, oh, you got to stop doing blah, blah, blah. And she was like, I gave that up at nine years old. And I think mm-hmm. she was talking just boys. Boys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Boys. Okay. Um, so she's at least 10. But she does catch pneumonia, which in 1945, death sentence. Death I mean, pneumonia is still bad. Like, don't get me wrong. It's still bad. You don't want to get pneumonia. But, but it was that in yellow fever. Yeah. That was it. In the 40s, <laughs> she, they tell her. They're like, it's Kay. She's got pneumonia. And she's like, oh, fuck. Like, oh, man. Yeah, this, yeah. Is, this is it. Like, goes and, running towards her. And what, are, and what do they do for her? They put her in a bubble and, like, give yeah. her oxygen. Yeah. Like, Poor they don't Mildred. have anything. They don't have anything to give her. Poor Mildred. She just assumes that her husband has the kids for the weekend. They're going to Lake Arrowhead. I'm going to go and have some fun with this. With Mrs. With, Biederhoff. With this playboy, Monty. Oh. <laughs> she goes to Mildred, the, yeah. She goes yeah. to the beach she with goes Monty. To the, to the Malibu beach house. And what does she yeah. find when she comes back home in the rain? Her youngest daughter has pneumonia and just fucking dies. And drops dead. Poor Mildred. <laughs> What did you do, Mildred? I wondered when I watched that, I wondered, again, production code stuff, if that was like... You're going to go away and leave your kids. She committed adultery or something, and so now she is being punished for committing the... Joan looks so beautiful in that scene. Implied thing that Hollywood's great at. Joan looks so beautiful in that scene where she puts on the bathing suit of a sister. Yeah. What's interesting is that they kind of like talk about these sisters, and it's very like... It's a little like... What is your relationship with your sisters, bro? <laughs> yeah. But but Joan yeah. looks so it's beautiful when she's in that old timey bathing suit, yeah. and she's running out to the o- and she's yeah. running out to That's the water, and she's thing. putting on the bathing cap. It's yeah. like that is some star power. <laughs> <laughs> that and freezing the music cold swells. Yeah, and she's just yeah, she's gorgeous in it too. Yeah, she's yeah. absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, and uh, I don't remember how. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Pete. Um, I was just gonna mention his uh, his really chic forties like uh, swim briefs mm-hmm. that he's got on yeah. little black ones. I'm like, I love those. He has a cute little <laughs> um, he has a cute little beach cardigan too. Yeah, his little little like cover up situation that he's again. Got going no on. one sweats in this movie. No, no one sweats. It's not hot in California. <laughs> I mean, they're at the at the beach at Malibu. They're probably freezing their asses off in that water. Yeah. <laughs> Even in the summer, that water is too cold. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't remember how old Mildred is supposed to be. Mm. Um, Thirty-seven. I, I don't I think remember. Probably the just thirties. Yeah, because yeah. both yeah. of her kids are, are pretty yeah, young. Old. <laughs> are pretty young when it starts. Past her prime. I mean, this was at a time when women usually had kids when they were what, right away nineteen yeah. years old. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 Well, and again, Crawford was considered old when she was 40 right you know yeah, yeah. judy garland the decade later when she was like 36 it was oh, just gosh. like what is going on <sighs> yeah i think that the passage of time when mildred gets the first property that she's going to make this mm-hmm. restaurant and then all of a sudden she's flipping this whole nother yeah. location that i'm like whoa how did we get to this how do we get to this place yeah 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 that i think yeah. that there's just a yeah. passage of time that they don't really talk about that it's been a few months since she's bought the first place from Monty, and now he's the financial backer, and she's helping to flip 
the new location, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I think don't that, but uh, yeah, because I noticed that too, where there was just continuity issues, and I kept trying to dial in my ears a bit to be like, <laughs> "Is there? Are they going to say something in the plot?" Yeah. And I think it's when Vita goes away for a while and then comes back. Yeah. Um, that they're like, "Oh, you're back from your trip, Vita." You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I think that's the only. That's the only. We don't know. You're right. How long that passage of time is because she just says, and suddenly I was opening up all these restaurants. Um, yeah. And she, what does she have? Laguna Beach and Arcadia and like all the, <laughs> all these different locations. I'm like, geez, Luke, they're far apart from each other. I was like, okay, you better work, Mildred. <laughs> Good for her. Yeah. Um, her The home base, though, it looked like some kind of barn house, like right. the, the, yeah. the the house from White Christmas kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I was just kind of expecting a sleigh with horses to go by and at one point when they showed an exterior. And there's car hops. Like, there's yeah. like full-on car hops outside. This place is full service. It is like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Wild. She was doing K and W before K and W was K and W Cafe. Yeah. <laughs> God. Um, okay, so Vita and uh, I keep forgetting his first name, Mr. Monty Monty, Monty Barragon, hit it off real well. Real oh quick. yeah. <laughs> when they're dancing after the opening night of a restaurant, they're dancing. They're dancing pretty close. Yeah, yeah. How old is he? Because right is he too was, young for Mildred? A, and yeah, like, <laughs> which is kind but of. She, but he's in love with. But he's in love with Mildred. Yeah, and there was one point where she, <laughs> there's a point at the end where she just goes like, "How long has this been going on? How did how did you know that you were in love?" And I was like, "Well, they look the same yeah. age, sure." <laughs> <There's> no- <laughs> which is kind totally. of an interesting thing that the script doesn't go into, just because I don't think that they want to call out. Joan being old of that. Yeah. It's kind of an interesting relationship of <laughs> right. this older woman with a man that's probably maybe shy ten years her Yeah. Cause later on later on when he does finally rebuff Vita, it's not like, well, you're a child. He's just like, right. I don't like you. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't like your personality and your kind and your trash. It's not but like it's funny you're too that, young. It's funny that J- Joan is just—it's just like, why do you like a younger person? I was like, <laughs> well, look at them. Look at that. <laughs> he looks more like her. Yeah, than he does. You come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, but when they start showing up together and like. Yeah, Vita fully has like her hat situation is out of control. I was going to say this is this like, is the portion of the movie where we get the most. Fashion. Hat, hat fashion. Yeah. <laughs> the most hats. Yeah, the most, the most hats. The most haberdashery. I have in my notes. That's men's hat. <laughs> I have in my notes the hat situation is crazy. Yeah, it's, it's nuts. But they're, but they're all good. Joan at they're one point. Mildred at one point has this hat. It's wide brim and it's, and it's black. And it has like a, like, I think they're feathers on the edge. And it's got like oh, a yeah, little yeah, teeny yeah. spout in the middle. Like it's a little uh-huh. teeny, like a witch's hat almost. I think that's the crazy <laughs> hat that she's wearing when she, find out, when she finds out Vita is getting married. Okay. Oh, to the boy. To yeah. The boy. I like that boy. boy. He was nice. Yeah, <laughs> he, he was liked, cute. He liked yeah, Vita. <laughs> he was cute. 
His mom was not nice, but I mean, that sucks what they did to him. The mom character reminds me, Jackson, I don't know how much you watched of the HBO series. She reminds me of the Hope Davis character. Of oh, the yeah. Woman, the woman yeah. that she's uh-huh. interviewing to be a housekeeper for. Yeah. Oh, sure. And Hope yeah. Davis is so good at just being this rotted woman of privilege. Yes. Yeah. She was great. Yeah. You're right. You're right. I never drew that parallel, but you're right. Those are basically the same character. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, can we talk about this, the the scheme that Vita... Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Vita and freaking Wally. Yeah. Like, this guy, he just keeps getting worse and worse. At first, I'm like, oh, he's okay. Yeah, he wants to get in with, like, with Mildred, but he ends up helping he's her. He's kind of a dummy, but he does help yeah. her out. But then, this mm-hmm. fucking scheme with Vita. Okay, scheme. walk us uh, through it. Awful. What's what's Vita's plan? Vita's plan is to fake a pregnancy and then it was it was going to fail and she was going to get money from the family. Ten thousand dollars. Which she ultimately gets. Well do what? Which she ultimately she, gets. Well she gets the check. She yes, which check. she gets the check. Yeah. But she was gonna fake a, a pregnancy in order to get ten thousand dollars. From the family, not not Mildred's family, but the husband's family, and then just walk away with it. And I think divorce him too. If I, if well, I yeah, correctly. the whole thing was that she tricked this guy into marrying her. He yeah. was fully in love with her. They're at Wally's little like Copacabana little nightclub, and like he gives this toast and he gives this loving toast about like being in love and all this stuff. And he's hugging Vita, and she's looking off and like mm-hmm. this. She could care less. I, you, I fucking hate you. And then all of a sudden, like, yeah, Mildred is like, what's going on? And they are already married. So the, yeah. is the deal that his mother is so, like, high society hoity-toity that, like mm-hmm. Vita, she's like, you're not – my son's not marrying into your family because your family smells like grease. Yeah, I think so. And, mm-hmm. like, kitchens. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because it's like they're rich enough, but it's like, no, you made your money like off of a restaurant. Well, and Vita Vita just wants the next best thing. So it's like, you know, that's not enough. So she needs to go to the next echelon of society. And where, and when Mildred rips up the check, that's when we get the really famous slap scene. I mean, (laughs) because at at the start of the film, Mildred slaps, slaps Vita. Vita. Yes. And then in this scene, Vita slaps Mildred. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wild. Which is a shocking fucking scene. Could no you matter imagine? how many times I watch it, it's always a. <gasps> well, it's so amazing because Vita is explaining her scheme to Mildred. Yeah. And Mildred is realizing you were never pregnant at all. And she's just like, well, it's from a certain point of view. I, I could have been. I thought I was. And now I'm, now I'm not anymore. But, you know, you can't prove anything and la, la, la. And as she's giving away the scheme and Mildred's realizing all of it, the music is so ominous. The music is like, oh, <laughs> fuck. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. But as, as Vita's telling the story, you're just like, this Oh, you yes. just you just yeah. hate her. You just start hating her. You're like, ah, Vita, I hate you. And then the and like starts building and building and building. And you think you think Mildred is gonna slap her again. And she fucking slaps Mildred. I would have loved yeah. to have been on and the, and the pieces of the check go flying everywhere. Oh, it's great. Uh, I would have loved to have been on set that day when Anne Blythe slapped Joan Crawford. Oh my god. Oh my god. I would have loved yeah, to have read the room real. as it's they were filming real. that. Mm-hmm. 
It yeah. really, it really did. I love, I love what Mildred great. says to her. She goes, "You're cheap in your heart." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're cheap. Oh, you're cheap. Oh my. And goodness. then someone calls her. I think. I think Monty calls her a tramp afterwards, yeah. and I was just like, "Whoa, whoa, nineteen forties, calm down, cheap <laughs> tramp, horrible, calm down, everybody." Yeah. Oh my yeah. god. Speaking of wow. slaps, but yeah. I was going to say, speaking of slaps, Joan Crawford has a very sweet story on David Frost in that interview. Mm -hmm. She said that she was filming a scene with Clark Gable because she was just gushing about Clark Gable of like her and Clark Gable, I think, had some romantic tension. But she talked about filming a scene with him and he had to slap her. And I think that Clark kind of like laid one on her and said right after they cut, Clark felt really bad. And like, like oh. consoled her. Like, I didn't, I didn't mean to hit you that hard. I'm really sorry about that. And as but Joan, Joan like, and as and Joan is like, te- is telling the story, she's just like, stars are in her eyes of just like, yeah. And he took me in his arms and was just like, <laughs> I'm sorry, baby. I didn't, I didn't mean to slap you that hard. Do you know what's fascinating about Joan Crawford is that I like literally grew up on Mommy Dearest. Like, I remember yeah. being. A yeah. small child, like it, when it came out of eighty two, yeah, and uh, and and we, it was either on, you know, on TV or HBO, whatever those like weird like early cable channels were, um, or we may have even rented it because we did. We were VCR early adopters, but I remember watching it at home, and it was a family event, and my grandma and me and my sister and my mom, and I remember my sister and I just like laughing hysterically at like no wire hangers and all that. But growing up on that story and just like, ooh, Joan, she's just so mean. She's just this horrible (laughs) woman who just adopted these kids for publicity and she's just such an evil lady. But, you know, you watch her, like the real Joan. Yeah, you see her her on the talk show. And she kind of seems like a hoot. She's so charming. She's she's so charming. (laughs) So charming. So nice. And, And yet you also believe that, I mean, I mean. You know, there were a, <laughs> legend. Ha- rumor has it, legend has it that you know she would, she would, uh, she was staying at some hotel when she like first went to Hollywood, and she would be like out in the hallway at two a.m. in just full, you know, Academy Award garb, just mm-hmm. vacuuming and and things like that. So it's you know you, yeah, but yeah. Uh, but she seemed a lot nicer than. You know, Betty Davis was kind of bitter at the end of her right. life and yeah. just always. And know. it came across that yes. way. Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't want to talk about this. <laughs> yeah. Like later when she yeah. was on Carson. Joan stuff. Crawford's dead. Good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my favorite, sorry, sidebar, my favorite Carson appearance of her was after the stroke. And we're not making fun of stroke no. victims. No, we're not. But she, Johnny Carson goes, well, if, uh, uh, what actress, um, is there an actress that you just uh, uh, didn't like working with? And she goes, $1 million, Faye Dunaway. Yeah. <laughs> that was a really good Johnny Carson impression, by the way, Jackson. This is true. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, so she, but jo- Joan, Joan seemed like, I mean, as, as mean as she was, mm-hmm. you know, and people say Betty was the nice one, Joan was the mean one. But she, I don't know if there was just a, a warmth about her. Yes. In some of her performances, even her later ones, like I know we we all love. Um, I saw what you did, mm-hmm. and uh, um, she's really good. And I saw and, what you did. 
She's yeah. fantastic in that movie. And, but there's a warmth of, of her that I think is, yeah, I, I always just was like, yeah. you know, she's nice. I remember, so I grew up like you, Pete, with Mommy Dearest. It's one of my mom's favorite movies. It was an event when it was on television. Events. We sat down and watched it. Yeah. But then I remember Mildred Pierce came on and I saw that chronologically, the, again, this was when I was young, young. Yeah. And so I watched Mommy Dearest. And my mom being like, this is about Joan Crawford. But Faye Dunaway was so good, I thought it was Joan Crawford. And so I always was like, why is Joan Crawford making a movie about herself when she's (laughs) screaming and all this? And then I watched Mildred Pierce because my mom was like, this is my favorite Joan Crawford movie. Mm. And I just remember being like, why is the actress from Mommy Dearest playing? (laughs) How old is the actress from Mommy Dearest? So I had them reversed where I was like, oh, no, that's the real Joan Crawford. That's an actress who looks like Joan Crawford. Yeah. Um, But you just it's it's just you believe Faye Dunaway when you watch Mommy Dearest after watching Mildred Pierce. You're like, she has that range and she's that good. And I remember distinctly first hearing about feud and Jessica Lange's casting and just being like, I don't know, girl, this sounds weird to me. Yeah. (laughs) But there were some scenes and in particular, did you watch all of feud? Oh, all of it. Yeah. I think it's Ryan Murphy's best in particular when she's at the dentist and she is just <laughs> bleeding from her mouth. Mm-hmm. And the dentist is like, what's going on? And she goes, it's called, it was called the buckle. <laughs> it was called the buckle. And they took out my molars and it made my, my, and you know, the girl, they're not doing the teeth, but they're doing the buckle fat removal. They're doing the buckle fat removal. To get though. the same results, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, fucking 70 years later. <laughs> Right. Joan would have done the buckle fat removal if it was an if option. If it was an option. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's Yeah, like, Jessica Lang was great. She was a great Joan Crawford. Yeah. I, yeah. I, and it, and it was in the small while, moments though, for me. To, it wasn't to, the to, Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, it wasn't the big like uh baby Jane recreation moments. It was those smaller things when she was at the dentist or when she's sitting alone yeah. in her apartment in the seventies in New York yeah. City and like yeah. all that stuff where I was like, okay, now she's giving me Joan. But like yes. I couldn't really reconcile uh, you know, the casting for a long time and then mm-hmm. I finally watched it and I was like, Okay, I get it now. Yeah. Yeah, and part of me was always like, this, this sounds like a cheap excuse, but I was mm-hmm. like, she doesn't sound like Joan yep. Crawford. And then, you know, but it was more that antics and, yes. you know, the, the fighting and the just how the strongness, the strength of of, of her that I think Jessica Lange did very well. Yeah. Because yeah. Yeah. part of me was always like, oh, shouldn't it be reversed? Susan Sarandon should be <laughs> Joan, this kind of like softer kind of thing and and no it was just like no thing needs to be yeah just going the one things about feud a show that i really loved i really like susan sarandon i think that there are mm-hmm. parts of her bet davis that really worked but what i don't think worked as well is when she was actually in the baby jane costume yeah that's i agree and yeah. i think it's just one of those yeah. things that bet is just that's a really tough act to follow of that when you're, yeah. when you're doing that role, that that is who you have to compare yourself to. Right. And, and I mean, again, not 
not being ageist or making comments <laughs> on women's appearances, yeah. but you know, Betty Davis just was naturally that old at the time. And so her, her face just looked lo- kind of like that. And then they yeah. pancake this grand gunal, yeah. you know, makeup on her, this kabuki kind of thing. Whereas Susan Sarandon has always been, you know, she's yeah. kind of looked the same her entire <laughs> career. Yeah. I mean, gorgeous, but you know, she has a very, she has a very lifted face. I mean, isn't wasn't um, so. Susan Sarandon at the time when they when they produced Feud older than Betty Davis was? I think that yes. she was portraying her as considerably yes. older, yeah, considerably. Yep. Like Betty Davis was like younger in early fifties, yeah, in that so, <laughs> so wild, yeah. So she looks so strange when she yeah. comes out in this you know, pancake. Makeup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just such a it's such a surreal thing. Yeah, yeah. but um, I thought. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say the things that they that they kind of portray Joan. And in a lot of what, you know, Mommy Dearest does it and, and Feud did it, they kind of portray her as being, you know, slavish to this beauty regimen, you know, of like mm-hmm. the witch yeah. hazel in her eyes and, you know, all this, the ice baths and, yeah. you know, all this crazy stuff. These famous larger than life stories yeah. of the work that it took um, to be a movie star. Yeah. And the, and the buckle, you know, teeth removal mm-hmm. and all that stuff. But, you know, you watch Mildred Pierce, and it's like you can't argue with that face. Yeah, gorgeous. <laughs> you gorgeous. can't argue Beautiful with it. Face. You know, <laughs> and I don't think she's too gorgeous for it. You know, yeah. I I loved I loved the HBO series because Kate Winslet was so good, mm-hmm. and yet the entire time I'm still thinking like it's still Kate Winslet. Yeah, <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, you know, it's it's kind of like yeah. I mean. I, Todd Haynes, you know, we've talked about Carol and Far From Heaven, and it's just like there's still this artifice of like there's still a movie actress, you know, there's still mm-hmm. beautiful Hollywood yes. stars, and so as much Todd as Haynes Kate knows, tried to Todd Haynes knew what he know, was doing when he cast that one <laughs> as Mildred Pierce. So yeah, okay, yeah. so we can segue into a little bit about the HBO series. I remember yeah. watching that when when it came out. I had just quit my first job when moving to Los Angeles, and we had moved into our apartment, our duplex in Pasadena, and I remember watching all of that miniseries, no furniture, I just <laughs> sat on the floor, and it was right when we got- We didn't even have the couch We yet. got AT&T yeah. cable. Yeah. First time in my adult life that I ever had HBO. Or access to HBO, yeah. anything on demand. So I demanded all of Mildred Pierce, and I watched it in a matter of like three days. Yeah, just yeah. on the floor of our old apartment. <laughs> and yeah, so like sweet. the HBO series, it's a proper treatment of the book. Of that, there's the this movie that we're talking about, which is classic '40s noir movie. You get Jones' mm. performance, but there's just something about how grounded. Todd Haynes's vision is of that material that yeah. I think is so successful. It's almost word for word. Yeah. I mean, that was the incredible thing was reading the book um, alongside watching that movie. And, and I was purposely saving watching the forties movie until, you know, either today, the day, you know, the day we're recording or the mm-hmm. day before, um, and it was interesting to read the book and then watch the movie and read a chapter and watch a ch- watch an episode blah, 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 because it, it was – I mean he takes dialogue directly. It's almost like he's just filming each page and he has five hours to do it. Yeah. So might as well. It's a lot of time to flesh out um, those characters. Yeah. 
Yeah, and in a way that is almost better than the novel, too, because the novel only does give so much. I mean, that's what's great about James M. Cain is he he gives, because uh, he does this in Postman Rings Twice, the, the novel that, where it's like there's just enough about what you understand about the character's motives, but there's nothing really about the background. And so in the Todd Haynes does a good job, yeah, fleshing it out and sort of giving more context and background to everybody um and i love i love the actresses who played vita oh my god the actress who plays the younger version of vita right before evan rachel wood fantastic that little girl is so rotten like we like we're saying like what an asshole vita is in the old movie but there's just something about the casting of that girl that you just want to slap you want to slap her across the face (laughs) of how how she's talking to her mother and every rachel wood does a great job too i mean there's uh, she does a i think i don't know if she won an emmy or if they definitely uh, all got nominated yeah yeah at least they got something either a golden globe or an emmy I think yeah. it was one of those years that I think that there was three supporting actresses in miniseries. I think it was Mare Winningham, who plays the Eve Arden character. Right. Uh, Melissa Leo, who there is not a Melissa Leo character in the movie, probably just because there's no time for it. Oh, she's there's the no There's no yeah. neighbor friend, which yeah, I would have liked no. to have seen a version of that character in this movie. Mm-hmm. In, the, yeah. in the 1945 movie. And then Evan Rachel Wood. I think was also nominated. Wow. Oh, okay. Wow. That's, that's a great, great category. I think, um, I, I thought what was interesting too, in doing my research was no one watched the 45 movie before they made this. Yeah. Because Todd Haynes to what you said before, Todd Haynes like really wanted to create his own world. And, and this, this version of, California and Pasadena, mm. like that just existed in, the, in his own mind. And he shot it on something like 16 millimeter film. Yeah. I mean, it just had this very um, realistic quality to it, which I thought was, um, yeah, just great. It was so stark at times, too. Everything was just so especially, jarringly Especially real. like the later half of that series, which when I was mm. doing my rewatch, I only made it through like the first two episodes. I need to finish mm-hmm. the back half of it but there's something yeah, of how great. stark the later half of it is those moody dark shots of pasadena of the pasadena street bridge of when they're commuting yeah. back and forth of just how it's shot yes. just kind of a very mm-hmm. famous landmark that i would drive by every single day and it was really cool to see that we, we it's it's the call it's the colorado street bridge and we can't call it what it used to be called because it's triggering uh Suicide bridge. Called suicide bridge. Yep. <laughs> by by the locals. Um, yeah. They've since now put up giant fences around it. It's it's unfortunate because they really mar the look of it. And it's a beautiful piece yeah. of architecture yeah. when you drive by it yeah. too. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I always think of those shots of Mildred's car when she's driving from her yeah. orange grove house and you had just moved to Pasadena yeah, when you moved. were watching that so, so I think that's why <laughs> it just kind of resonated with yeah. me so much just because I I mean Pasadena is one of Los Angeles's oldest suburbs and yeah. it's where all of the money yeah. was in Los Angeles so it just has this yeah. really cool yeah. history yeah it's it's gorgeous and it's gorgeously photographed in in the HBO series yeah shocking nude scene with Evan Rachel Wood 
of how they do that and that full ass it will make you like gasp of when you see the full frontal of her yeah and and then it like i think it pans over and like it shows mildred yeah, watching it's and super she's effective staring at her it's a like, woo <laughs> yeah i remember watching that as a kid and being like oh what you know and not not from the nudity but just from like she's just not moving you know <laughs> K-Winslet is just in awe of her daughter oh naked goodness. and that's just ugh, i remember so reading weird. a lot of just sort of interviews with both of them and i think emrich would understandably would be nervous or hesitant about doing it and she went to kate for advice because kate is no stranger to nudity right. on nudity, screen yeah. and she's just like you know if it fits the story this is a very shocking moment of yeah these people's lives i think you gotta do it yeah yep and, and she kind of gave did her, it and she, she kind of gave yes. her this pep, <laughs> this like pep talk of that i think it's appropriate for how shocking this moment is for the character yeah it, it does advance the relationship it's it's a critical moment in both of their relationships and their relationships together that uh that i think advances it you're right you're absolutely right i think uh it's great it was great to see and we, I think we talked about this on the Carol episode where it was great to see Todd Haynes take something like that because yes. it seemed like he was working out everything that he would perfect in Carol. Yes, it's definitely the opening years. act to a movie like that, definitely. Yeah, and uh, and but you can see where one leads to the next, which leads to the next, and... Um, I was watching a very great um, Be Kind Rewind did a great featurette on the two Mildred Pierces on YouTube. And they were just saying like, you know, it, it also followed in his uh, sort of chronology of films uh, that were all new takes on old things. And so um, it was, it was just really interesting to that. He did that first before Carol, because I think Carol is such a, a, a great condensed version of, of what makes Mildred Pierce great so uh i'm going back to the cast list for our 1945 mildred pierce and Mm -hmm. i'm looking at these actors and i'm like oh boy joan crawford was born in 1906 (laughs) oh my goodness uh mrs mrs biederhoff the other woman who mr pierce is like shacking up with uh, this this woman who, by the way, she was in uh, Mrs. Biederhoff as like has her fair share of like hits under her belt. Oh, Lee Patrick's most known for on IMDb is kind of out yeah. of control. The Maltese Falcon, Anti Mame, Vertigo, Vertigo, and Mildred Pierce. Oh my god! Just yeah. like oh what, like a murderer's yeah. row of yeah. classic movies that you would uh, stumble on the TCM. She, she was born. Hell? She was born in 1901. But now I'm oh my God. so now I'm looking through this cast list and I'm scrolling through and there's someone in here and this image looks like a passenger on the Titanic. She played <laughs> a police matron. Her name is Leah Baird. She played a police matron. So she's just there in the police station and it's probably an old woman. She was born in 1883. Wow. Her, the images in these movies are like Nickelodeon, like you put the you put the penny in and turn the yeah, crank right. at Disneyland, <laughs> and like pages flow. Oh, you know, you look through the, you look through the yeah. oh, you know, just uh, like yeah. she played Rebecca of York and Ivanhoe in 1913. 
Oh yeah, Jesus, yeah. So. That's everybody knows Leah Bird, star of Stage and Screen. Right. right. <laughs> I remember working with D.W. Griffith, and <laughs> <laughs> this image of her in this hat, though, on her main IMDb photo, it seriously, she looks like she's <laughs> step. It doesn't look any bigger than the Mauritania. Oh my goodness, <laughs> these movies. She died. Lo- she lo- died in 1971, and she was 88. In 1971. Well, well, she lived long enough to see the microwave, so that's hey, great. There you go, and good for her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, it's so interesting that uh, that Anne Blythe, that Vita was 16 at the time of of, yes. of making this movie. Um, yeah, we were talking just before we started recording. Uh, I on our trip that we just took, I downloaded a bunch of Twilight Zone episodes to watch in the plane back. And listeners, don't worry. There were no episodes where planes exploded, crashed, or had gremlins on the wings. But um, <laughs> there is a, an episode where Anne Blythe plays a she plays a, a glamorous actress, a leading lady. And this man, he's a, a journalist. He goes to her home to uh, interview her, and he starts asking these questions about like her life and her career, and some of the things don't start to add up and he this woman comes down the stairs and she's old like bedraggled old woman and she's like mother go back upstairs mother and she's like it's just my mom and later on he goes to talk to the mom and and she's like she's not my mother she i'm not her mother she's my mother so it turns out that this actress this young beautiful actress is really old and she like does this thing and she gets the interviewer and she gets like a scarab like an egyptian like scarab like mm-hmm. beetle yeah. and like puts it on him and it drains out his life and then she takes the beetle and puts it on herself and she like gets younger and rod serling comes out and like she's like cleopatra or something yeah <laughs> all right work the promise of you and she's just like thousands of years old and has this like yeah. egyptian like bug but she's just like this beautiful actress in the 60s and it's implies it's uh it's vita from from mildred pierce she and probably looks the exact the same. same she probably she looks, looks the exact the same, same. <laughs> yeah. she just looks like vita i mean she's, <laughs> she's still alive you better work. Yeah, that's wild. Mm-hmm. Again, we got to get her on the phone. I get mean, I've been on hold. Okay. <laughs> I love um, M. Blythe's little song and dance at Wally's. Oh, it's great. At Wally's it's bar. Great. You know, that is one and thing that, was- that you mentioned that in the source material mm-hmm. uh, that Vita becomes an opera singer, which does sound right. like the Vita that I know, not my Vita. In this movie, I feel like she would be like, thanks, Wally. I, I don't need to work. I don't need to sing at your shithole bar. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, I'm I mean, good. But I, I like good. that Vita's that desperate to do it, though. Well, and that was that was kind of a staple of film noir because film noir was made sure. to, to, for the sort of lower middle class. I mean, it was Pete, uh, you were talking about at the beginning, like screwball comedies. Mm-hmm. It was sort of the dramatic like severe socially driven drama Mm -hmm. uh, you know low budget drama movie and so it was like instead of yeah opera classical music a a musical an edwardian tale they had people at a jazz club yeah and so um so you know and you see that in in quite a lot of movies a movie called detour 
a film noir. Uh, it was, it's like he's in love with a jazz singer. And it was just sort of this way of, of making um, sort of high class, you know, be like, she's performing in a lounge. Taking her and, down oh, a peg, yeah. And, yeah. I, and I kind of like that as Vita's character arc is that Vita, I mean, it's different in the book in the HBO series that yes. Vita wants to be an opera singer, but I kind of like that they don't give it to her in this. Yeah. That the best yeah. that she can do yeah. is Wally's club singing this like Coca Cabana yeah. routine. Like Get, that's the best that she can do. Getting cat called by the sailors. Well, and it, and it, and it threads through nicely. Like later when he's like, Oh, it's like people don't even drink champagne here. It just adds mm-hmm. a lot of character to it. And yeah. such a, I love those scenes at the like the opening scene at the pier and that scene like the I just remember seeing this in in the theater and it was those shots were just so atmospheric those There's shots of about John the pier those yeah, scenes so that I just will always remember I, yeah. I I I called out as we're watching it you know the very first scenes of the movie there's this there's this murder and it's ambiguous mm-hmm. we're led to believe that Mildred is like killed this man and she goes to the pier and she she's standing on the edge and she's looking over the water and the cop comes over and he's essentially like you better not commit suicide yeah <laughs> because if you do I'm gonna have to give you a ticket and haul you into go the over clink. to that bridge <laughs> down on Pasadena you no know, but do you know that. what I mean he's like I'm I'm gonna stop you from committing suicide and take you to jail rather mm-hmm. than like are you okay, lady? Maybe do you need some help? Yeah, <laughs> he's not trying to it was dissuade. A different time. He's not trying to dissuade her to like. There's, there's more to life, you know. He's just like, I know. not on my watch. Yeah, lady, don't you do sister. it, yeah. Don't you do it, <laughs> lady in yeah. a fur coat. There's gonna be all this paperwork. I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have the to fill out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Speaking of like Vita and her like villain villainousness, uh, I I do th- want to talk about how Mildred is portrayed and early on in the movie when she's, you know, uh, Bert, Bert gets that, that Vita's kind of off, right? Yeah. He's just like, I don't like the way she talks to you. I don't like the way she talks to anybody really. Like she's got her head so far up her own ass. Like, I don't know what's going on with that girl. He's like, Kay, Kay's my girl. Like we love Kay. She's like the best thing we've ever done. But Vita, I don't know, baby. And Mildred's like, you know what? Fuck you. Those are our kids, and they come first. Like, mm-hmm. I don't care what you say about Vita and her attitude. She's still my daughter, still our daughter, and they are the first priority in this house. It's them and yeah. then us and then our marriage, yeah. and that's it. Which is yeah. like, hey, commendable. Yeah. Right? And then Vita goes on to, like, fuck over her mother several times. And several times Mildred is like, get the hell out. That's it. I'm done with you. I wash my hands of you and all this stuff. She still takes her back. Yep. And I think that's just that moral code, that thing where it's like She's Mildred mother. is no matter what Vita does, she's mm-hmm. still her mother and she still will yeah. always take her back and try to take the fall for her for this like ultimate crime. She's still going to yeah. go in and no matter what she's done – you know, try to, you know, steal this man away, like all this crazy shit. She's still at the end of the day, at the end of the movie, she's still just like, stop talking. Don't say anything. 
you're, it's a trap. Yeah. Like it's a setup. Like yeah. stop talking. Yeah. You know, like we almost had him. I almost had him. And when she does finally have to like admit that, hey, you know, I was covering for her. She's like, she's she's weeping when she's like saying like, mm-hmm. okay, you got it. You got me. Like. Yeah. You know, I'm covering for her the whole time. And it's like through everything, Mildred still is like – and I don't know if that's just that weird coded thing about her infatuation with Vita. What this spell that she has over her in the, in this movie, they're playing it off like the ultimate mother. I'm gonna, I'm gonna yeah. protect my. And kid. both and characters no just have a codependency that yeah. they both do well, each other and, too. And after Kay dies, the very first thing out of her mouth well, is, "Don't yeah. let anything happen to Vita." Like yeah. that's you're like, yeah. oh shit, that's not healthy. <laughs> yeah, and she says something. There's some offhanded comment that Joe uh, Mildred says at some point. Yeah, that it's before that too that she. Someone says, "Well, what about K?" She's like, "Well, enough about K, but Vita, yeah, you know." And and it was just, it's just these, you know, these small things. And in the the book, it, I don't really remember. They don't go into depth why she's so obsessed with Vita. I mean, sure. I think there's just this this um, connection she feels of being the oldest and sort of living through all the hardships. And now Mildred wants to prove herself now that she's older. Mm-hmm. Um, to Vita and it's, but it's, it's so, it's so interesting that codependent relationship. It's fascinating. I think in this one too, I think a lot of it was like, because Kay was like so cool. I think she was just like, she, she will be fine. Like Kay's already good. She's already good. No matter what we do, like she's going to turn out. Okay. And I kind of know that Vita's going down this path of kind of becoming a cuckoo weirdo that maybe I do need to focus a little bit more attention on her because she's already kind of wacky, but Kay, Kay will turn out fine. We don't need, we don't need to talk about her anymore. (laughs) I'm just putting together now, you know, when we, when we did the mommy dearest episode, we talked about how, it was just Christina and Christopher and the twins weren't even in it. Yeah. And I wonder and I wonder if that was an homage to Mildred Pierce. <laughs> okay. Yeah. We don't need that. <laughs> I don't need, know. We don't need to talk about them. <laughs> Those Is Anne Blythe on the phone? Come on, we gotta get <laughs> Anne Blythe on the we're phone. We're still on hold. <laughs> real uh, real full you circle. Have to go to sell something? No? I know. Okay. Jackson right. of that you first came on our show, the first time we ever met you was talking about Joan. Was Two. was mommy dearest, was mommy yeah. dearest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and this is my last uh, yep. show ever. ever. <laughs> thanks for thanks for we will never have coming you back on, on. Thanks for coming on our podcast. <laughs> oh my god! I you know I, other Joan Crawford movie. I I'm such a fan of Joan post Betty or uh, post uh, whatever happened to Baby Jane. I mean, mm. I saw what you did. We talked about love. She's so good in it. It's also such a great film. She also did a movie called Straight Jacket, yeah. which is Fantastic. We love straight jacket. Absolutely bad shit. That's and it's not great, but the her head? last film, Trog, Trog yeah. is 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 worth watching just for her to yell the name of uh, the the gorilla Trog. Speaking so. of Trog, <laughs> I was doing a Google image search of John Hamill, who plays Cliff in Trog. Yeah, and he was uh-huh. a beefcake model. Okay. He was oh. a beefcake model in like the oh shit in the sixties. Yeah. Oh my god. Listeners, do a do a <laughs> Google Listeners. search. Of, do a Google search of that actor, John Hamill. 
All right. I've been meaning to revisit Trog. It's been a while. It's not great. It's not great. <laughs> <laughs> Joan, but Joan always rises to the occasion, though. Even when the material doesn't quite meet a kind of meet her level, she she'll always she'll always turn it out, though. She does. She does. And she does that. Uh, I think what's so great is how quickly, because I see, I saw this and I always thought it was made much later. I always thought it was made in like 1957, 1959. It was so early and yet her melodrama fit it so well, but then it became so um, old so quickly, you know, once it hit the late fifties and things like that. Um, cause even in baby Jane, it's like that, that's a, that's such a old Hollywood style acting that you just mm-hmm. don't see anymore and won't see ever again. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, yeah, like, like I was saying, this movie is, uh, it's, it's one of those, Older black and white movies that still has a little bit more of a modern sensibility yes. as far as pacing mm-hmm. yes. and as far as watchability. Because I will concede that sometimes you watch some of them and you're like, all right. It's it's what I think holds up really great about this movie and a movie like Sunset Boulevard. Of that there's just mm-hmm. something about how those movies are directed and paced that it's like how movies are made today. Almost. Almost. Yeah. Yeah. Almost. (laughs) Big parentheses over almost. Uh, I think the movies of today should learn from these movies. But I think think what's really great about this film is it's so grounded in the emotional story of Vita and Mildred. I think the emotional relationship grounds the film from being a, a schlocky noir um, but also this sort of heightened melodrama because it really balances the yeah. two very well. There are full scenes that should not be acted as dramatically as they are, <laughs> <laughs> like at, like at all. And um, and yet it's convincing because you have such an investment in it. Like I love that there's that scene where Monty and her are talking and. Oh, uh, um, Eve Arden had just told Mildred that Vita was taking money from the other waitresses. Oh, yeah. And then she comes in, and Mildred has this com- literal one-beat 180. And yeah. yet, it works so well. It's like it shouldn't work as well as it does, like the, the pacing of that scene. But you believe that she just is like, you know what? I, I know this information, but I love her. So I'm going to keep going with it. And it's, I think that's a testament to Joan and the the movie itself. I mean, Michael Curtis as well. Yeah. Yeah. Should uh, I, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Pete. Go ahead. No, I was just about to look up um, right now. Uh, Mildred Pierce from 1945 is not currently streaming anywhere for free. So, listeners, you will have to rent this one. It's a nice criterion. It's a mere $3 rental for 40 It's on and off TCM a lot. And it too. is on and off TCM. So, it, might, it may it's, be on It's on and off HBO Max as well. Oh, sure. So yeah. It often mm-hmm. shows up on HBO Max because yeah. of Warner. I mean, okay. hopefully I Warner promise, doesn't. I promise the David Niven, Joan Crawford oh, sure. story <laughs> to end out the, to round yes. out the podcast. Okay. I heard a story, and I'm not going to say from who, I heard a story that David Niven, for a a while, set up 
or the studio set up David Niven and Joan Crawford okay. to be an item. And so David Niven and Joan Crawford were out and about, and Joan was prone to drink, <laughs> perhaps mm-hmm. a little bit. Enjoyed a cocktail. And so, yeah, a martini or two. <laughs> and so, and so they went back to Joan's house, sloshed, and Joan grabs David Niven and says, let me go upstairs and flip in something more comfortable or something like that. And so David Niven is, sit, is out in the Grand Fourier, and all of a sudden he feels, he feels something wet on his jacket. And he's like, well, is it, is it raining and all this stuff? And he looks up, and Joan is over the banister peeing on him. <laughs> uh, I don't know about this story, drunk Jackson. out of her mind. <laughs> I don't know about this story. Uh, a warning? Reliable source. Reliable source. <laughs> uh, and was, was Mama Sita there to, to clean it all up afterwards? <laughs> Oh my goodness! I'm a I'm a little dubious of it. I love it. I'm here for it, and I believe it. <laughs> so Joan Crawford peed on David Niven. There. <laughs> wow. Hashtag hashtag Crawford Gate. Hashtag. <laughs> oh my god. I I heard from a reliable source that David Niven Jr. told that story to somebody who told it to my reliable wow. source. So, yeah. Okay, <laughs> I I love that story and <laughs> and I'm here for it. I buy it. <laughs> Great. <laughs> oh man. Well, this has been a ton of fun as always. It's good to have you back on. Yeah. And like I mentioned, oh, full, so great. full circle moment yeah. of your first appearance on this show. I know. It was uh, great to have my final appearance on the <laughs> podcast. Thank you so much. <laughs> Full everybody, everybody stream Drag Race All-Stars on... <laughs> <laughs> on Paramount Plus. On Paramount Plus. <laughs> and listen to our Patreon uh, recaps. <laughs> Good night! <laughs> well, we'd love to have you on again for something. We'll think about it. Uh, we'll, yeah. I don't know what's going to top these two, but... Um, until then, yeah, thanks thanks for coming on and uh, we'll guys. we'll talk to you soon, man. Bye, Jack. Right, thanks, Bye. man. Christina Darling, oh you trying to kill me. And thank you so much for watching, everybody. It's good to be back recording. Absolutely. Um, We've had a busy past couple weeks. We have had a busy past couple weeks, so uh, patrons, if you're listening to this live as this episode is coming on. We are behind an episode of Drag Race Recap, but we're working on that. That's coming out very, very, very shortly. I think we're going to do so, probably this last ep- this current episode that's probably airing. Gonna I, think get I think we're just going to do them back to back. Episode 9 and 10 yeah. just dropping on the same day. Uh, but that's coming out. But speaking of which, Patreon shout outs. I think it's time for some Patreon shout outs. No, that's not it. That's it. You almost played the you almost played the three beeps there. <laughs> Speaking of patrons, I know. Well, patrons, we want to say a big, great hello, thank you, and a shout out to all of our wonderful new patrons and our active current patrons, including new patrons Chrissy and Steven and Jake, as well as Desiree, Adam, Chris, Andrew. Uh, Laura, Thomas, Brenna, Jessica Rabbit, Lawrence, Lisa, Alexis, Thomas, Mark, Jackson, Millie, Ted, Benny, Jermel, Melanie, Susan, JJ, Muffy, Jamie, uh, Drew, Genevieve, 
Dawn, Joshua, Emily, Aaron, Jessica, Nick and Shannon, Christine, and finally Rafino. You guys. Thank you so much. The Patreon is popping off lately. We've got our recaps going on every week where we are recapping the current season of Drag Race All-Stars Season 8. Um, we did one straight from Hawaii. We did. On the Lanai. You can hear the, the crickets and stuff outside. Yeah, buzzing and buzzing about. It's not electricity. It is uh, Hawaiian insects. Well, I always wanted to do a, a live from Hawaii episode. And we sure and we, did. We finally got we to sure it. We sure did. So if the audio quality was a little wonky, it's just because we didn't have our full setup. We had half of our setup. Um, but yeah, we're doing those every week. And we're probably going to continue doing yeah, TV. Yeah, I think we're going we're gonna to do some fun TV episodes. TV that keeps later this summer. Yeah, we'll do some TV episodes. Maybe we'll do Drag Race Down Under. Maybe we'll do Drag Race Mexico. If you guys want to hear and see us do one of those, let us know. But in the meantime, we're finishing up uh, All-Star Season 8, and um, we're going to be working on some new TV shows. If you mm-hmm. have any suggestions, as always, yeah, drop us a message. Those are our way. We just, uh, a couple weeks ago, posted uh, our latest Watch With Us commentary track for Tu Wong Fu. Oh, yeah, that was our that was our special Pride episode. Yes, indeed. We've not done a Tu Wong Fu episode on we the haven't. show. Uh, we, we haven't done a full uh, review episode, but we did a, a Watch With Us. And if you're not familiar with those, we have over 30 commentary tracks we yeah. pick a movie we uh watch the movie and record a commentary live as the movie's playing and if you're a patron at the ten dollar level you have access to all 30 of them so we give you instructions on how to sync it up if you have the movie on streaming on vhs dvd blu-ray what have you uh we give you instructions on how to sync it up and um so as you're watching it you get to listen to our commentary and if you mm-hmm. don't want to do that you can just listen to it uh you know in your ear pods or what, whatever you listen to it and just as, as a bonus as a regular episode but it's really fun when you sync it up with the movie mm-hmm. um, so there's lots of those over on the Patreon so head over to patreon.com slash movies that made us gay uh, we've got lots of um, different tiers and different options for you to check out so thanks for everybody who does that you can rate and give us five stars on Absolutely. Apple, we would love we would love to see that. If you're if you listen on Apple Podcasts or if you listen on Spotify, you can give us a star rating, and we'd love it if you gave us five of those. We'd also love any reviews uh, that you want to write. Um, go ahead and drop us one of those, and we'll read it on an episode. And uh, we just did a live event here in Los Angeles. We have a live event coming up at the end of the month. Mm-hmm. We are doing a. Showing a Mean Girls with Rooftop Cinema. Yes. It's Rooftop Cinema Club at the uh, Arts District in downtown Los Angeles. July 29th. Mm-hmm. So you can get tickets in our bio. Yes. We will be hosting uh, the movie, doing an intro to the movie. And then after the movie, we might have a special guest. We might have some fun and games. Uh, but uh, keep checking the Insta to see uh, what new developments are coming with our Mean Girls Uh showing at with rooftop cinema club Mm -hmm. so check that out as well so yeah um go ahead and follow us on all the socials we are at movies that made us gay on instagram and on twitter at mtmug pod just don't spend too much time on twitter because then you'll get locked out (laughs) you'll get banned well you won't get banned you just can't you just can't read any tweets for a day can you believe that bullshit that's so funny mess it is a mess i'm not on twitter for all that long so it, it has not happened to me yet it's a mess. And we are not verified because fuck, fuck that. Sorry. But yeah, no. 
It's a mess. Uh, but we're still there. You know, we just had our interview with CyberSocket. Oh, it was a very, that out. very sweet interview. I like that. That is on our Instagram as well. There's a link to that. But go over to, I think it's uh, CyberSocket IG. Mm-hmm. That's their Instagram. You can uh, get access to the entire interview there. So check that out. Um, and yeah, if you want to follow us, if you want to follow our personal socials, feel free. Uh, my name is Pete. I'm at Peter Lasagna on Instagram. Scott Youngballer on Instagram and follow my letterbox. Yes, indeed. Thank you so much, everybody. Until next week. Bye. Bye.